This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Time now to turn our attention to headlines coming out of the U.S. We've got U.S. President Joe Biden having a two-hour phone call with his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping. We also have a conversation about monkeypox cases on the rise in the U.S., as well as the U.S. House of Representatives passing a sweeping legislation to subsidize the country's semiconductor industry. Let's try and get some insight on these headlines from Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Good morning, Nirmal. First of all, U.S. President Joe Biden and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping spoke for more than two hours over the phone last week. This was, if I'm not wrong, their fifth uh, such uh, interaction since last year. Uh, what are some of the highlights of this conversation and the pressing issues that were covered? And from a U.S. perspective, would you consider this conversation a successful one? Hi there. Good morning. Well, the next step will be a summit. Apparently, they are working on it. As for the call itself, a lot of it was reiterating known positions. So there was nothing unexpected about it that we know of. From a U.S. perspective, the White House characterized it as substantive, in-depth and candid. That it was relatively uneventful is good news. There was a lot of emphasis on keeping lines of communication open. And that is good news given the current state of the relationship, which is frankly quite toxic. So we were briefed on background by a senior administration official. Apparently, they did talk of climate change. They talked about Russia and Ukraine and the global impact of the war in Ukraine. There was a detailed discussion of areas where the two countries can work together with particular focus on climate change and health security as well as counter narcotics. You know, the U.S. has this huge fentanyl problem. Fentanyl is killing people in the United States and most of the fentanyl comes originates from China. And the two teams will be apparently following up on these areas. Now, President Biden also raised the need to resolve cases of American citizens apparently wrongfully detained or subject to exit bans in China and concerns about human rights. And they had what the U.S. side described as an in-depth discussion of Taiwan that was described as a direct and honest discussion. Okay, Nirmal, uh, we also remember this one. Um, President Xi Jinping warning U.S. President Joe Biden against playing with fire over Taiwan, quote unquote. Yeah, uh, this, of course, in the highly anticipated phone call. So was President Biden in a way or two sort of taken aback by this warning? Was it unexpected, perhaps? And do you think it's time for the U.S. to take China's warning seriously, especially since they're trying to sort of mend ties with this country? Well, President Biden reaffirmed the United States' commitment to its one-China policy, but repeated as well that the U.S. does not want to see any unilateral or forcible change to the status quo. Again, the two reiterated known positions on Taiwan, so there was no real surprise on either side. What else they said, of course, we do not know. The Chinese readout had that sharper detail. But as to whether the U.S. should take China's warnings on Taiwan seriously, I think they do. The administration does. This issue involving the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, visiting Taiwan created a lot of concern and not just in policy circles here. It highlighted both the sensitivity of the issue and the bipartisan support for a visit to Taiwan by the Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. And that in itself says a lot that there are many in Congress who favor a robust approach, even if provocative. But the president himself said the military thought it was not a good idea. 
All right, Nirmal, another case or another situation, we're watching closely the monkeypox cases that are on the rise in the U.S. San Francisco, in particular declaring a state of emergency. New York City has called the virus an imminent threat. What is the White House's strategy here in terms of curbing the monkeypox outbreak? I mean, there has been growing concern that the U.S. may have lost its chance perhaps to contain the virus because the nation has been quite slow to vaccinate those uh, who are most risk on a broader scale. I mean, what are your thoughts on this situation? Yes, Dr. Tony Fauci himself acknowledged that they could have done better. They were slow to procure vaccines. They could have done more. Now, New York City has declared a public health emergency, calling the city the epicenter of the outbreak. Mayor Eric Adams and Health Commissioner Ashwin Vassan said as many as 150,000 residents could be at risk of infection. This allows officials to issue emergency orders under the city health code. San Francisco declared monkeypox an emergency last week. They have found traces of the virus in wastewater in the Bay Area. But at the top of the list of cases per capita, along with San Francisco and New York, is Washington, D.C. as well. Seattle and Chicago are also among the six or seven cities for cases. The strategy is essentially to procure and distribute more vaccines at speed and also deploy resources to states, including money, financial resources. But the problem is it was late and it is happening in an uneven manner. And there has been some back and forth and blaming between some states and the administration. So it's not an ideal situation as to whether the United States has fallen behind the spread and will be unable to contain it. Well, this is a crucial week, I would say. Now that the White House is stepping it up, And this week should tell us whether the response is catching up to the virus and able to limit its spread. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Online with me this morning is Nirmal Ghosh, who is U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Nirmal, former U.S. President Donald Trump returned to Washington last week, making his first visit to the city since leaving office last year. What did he do during this trip and did he take the chance to defend himself with regard to the January 6th Capitol Hill riot? Uh, Would you consider this trip perhaps maybe a low-profile one? Donald Trump doesn't exactly do low profile. This was a keynote address at the America First Policy Institute. He got a rock star welcome. This is a newish organization which is serving as a parking place for Trump loyalists from his previous administration. People like former economic czar Larry Kudlow, former top advisor Kellyanne Conway and so on. This is very useful because watching what they say gives you an idea of their platform and what they will campaign on and what they will do if they gain power in 2024. So for the most part, he focused on law and order. It was very much a strongman speech, which came at the end of two days of speeches and panel discussions. Crime is up everywhere. That is a fact. And Donald Trump spent most of his speech highlighting that and outlining what he would do or what should be done. That is, among other things, seal the southern border, deport Latin American gang members, empower the police, push for the death penalty for drug dealers, move the homeless out of inner cities into properly organized tented camps outside the cities, and so forth. And of course, he flayed the Biden administration as well on the economy. So it is partly a list of his administration's achievements, high growth, low crime, the border wall, and America apparently respected around the world, and partly also a reprise of his famous American carnage speech, which he gave at his inauguration in 2017. This time around, he said the United States has become a cesspool of criminality. He talked about moral decay. He pushed back against progressive wokeism. 
He talked about school choice. He said he would stop men from competing in women's sports, referring to transgenders. Again, these are very hot button issues uh, specifically for conservatives. He referred to COVID-19 as well, and he called it the China virus again. He teased a 2024 run at the presidency as usual. He wasn't specific, but it was a constant subtext. And as for the January 6th inquiry, he didn't say much at all. He carried on almost as if it wasn't happening. He did make a reference to the 2020 election, saying it was a catastrophe and a disgrace. So essentially, he has not wavered from his stand on that. All right, Normal. final issue. The U.S. House of Representatives passed a sweeping legislation to subsidize the country's semiconductor industry. Could you give us more details of this legislation and how it'll help the U.S. in terms of competition with China? Would this or can this help Joe Biden's and the Democrats' slim majority in Congress? I mean, I'm looking ahead at the November midterms here. Right. So America's chip production has been losing ground. And this Chips and Science Act hopes to boost innovation and manufacturing in America. The U.S. at one time in 1990 had a 37% share of semiconductors and microelectronics production. Today, it makes just 12% of the world's supply of chips. So the world's most advanced chips are made mostly in Taiwan and South Korea. China is also behind. Here in D.C., the U.S. has woken up to the fact that chips are a national security issue. The U.S. overwhelmingly depends on Taiwanese and South Korean chip manufacturers for leading-edge logic chips. This means geopolitical risk. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan last week said this dependence on a limited number of overseas facilities is a fundamental national vulnerability and, in fact, flat-out dangerous. That's his words. So this is a $280 billion shot in the arm for the United States. Chips bill also has so-called guardrails that may also cut Chinese chip makers off from their own suppliers by making those suppliers choose between expanding in China and expanding in the U.S. and getting federal funds for doing that. So the CHIPS Act is designed to both improve American innovation and competitiveness and configure the nature of the industry, thus constraining semiconductor manufacturing in China. As for the political impact on the midterms, it won't hurt, of course, but not that much because any results will be further down the road and voters are more concerned about matters that affect them right now. Thank you so much for that analysis. Been speaking with Nirmal Ghosh, USB Chief for The Straits Times. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.